Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the being the four seed in the playoffs to my beloved New York Knicks. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Congratulations. I'm very happy for you. It sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I am really happy for you as a as a Cubs fan. First baseball reference. Get it out of the way. Um I relate to watching a team that always disappoints you, and I am happy that you, a very good fan and a very devoted fan, are finally getting rewarded for your loyalty. Uh, I'm sure it's been a long road. I wish your Knicks the best. I will be actively rooting for them, which is hard for me to say as a Bulls fan, but (laughs) given that they are basically the Bulls from 10 years ago, I kind of have to. So I'll be rooting very hard for D. Rose and for Taj and for Tibbs to fully lose his voice by the second round, which I hope the Knicks get to. It would be absolutely fantastic. And yes, I think my Knicks fandom has really shown me which of my friends love me the most because people send me text messages of condolences when the Knicks were unable to sign people that they wanted. Emphasis on the Dolan. (laughs) Oh, wow. Very, very good. People will send me those kind of texts. And then also I got texts from a lot of people, you included, our buddy Chris Chan included, people saying, hey, congrats on the Knicks. One of my buddies, Grant, shout out to Grant, sent me a text message the second the Knicks game ended where they beat the Celtics to secure the four seed. And he said, congratulations. So it's been nice. It's been very reassuring. And I feel a bit better now that the Knicks are good about all of the people who listen to horse and didn't really have a team to root for. And there's a lot of people who are like, "Ah, I just decided to root for the Knicks because Shubes is so passionate about them, which in years past, I felt very bad and guilty about. (laughs) But now I feel like I've done a a good thing. Look at this. Yeah. And you know what? As I'm sure you've noticed in as much as you've been out and about in New York at all, uh, there are a lot of Knicks hats, a lot of Knicks shirts, a lot of Knicks jerseys. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know where these people have been the last decade, but I can say to our listeners that uh, that Mike Schubert is a tried and true Knicks fan who deserves this moment. I will say that the tried and true fans like myself have always been there. People have worn enough. I've seen enough Knicks related memorabilia, even in the years of your garbage. Kelly has a beanie that a Knicks beanie that I had that was too small for my giant noggin <laughs> that she wears a lot and she would get compliments on it all the time. And she knew enough player names to get by in conversation. So I think the city is not a fair weather city. But yes, it is nice to see people get really excited about it. And I think it's very funny when people tweet things like, oh, New York is a Nets town now because the Nets are incredible and no one cares. Totally agree. Like, obviously it's different, like walking around, not doing that as much, but look at how much 
the city celebrated just the Knicks being competent. And then now we've really exceeded expectations where we're the four seed in the playoffs. The city is alive and no one cares that the Nets are the favorites to win. Yeah, the Knicks making the playoffs feels bigger than if the Nets win the championship. I think so. And can you imagine like if we win this first round? Oh, God, it will. The parade around MSG will be larger than whatever parade goes through Bushwick or whatever they do in Brooklyn if Brooklyn wins. Fort Green, all right? Get it right. <laughs> Brooklyn is just everywhere. So many things it could be. It's so spaced out that, you know, it'll take them 12 years to do the whole parade. But anyway, before we continue talking about my beloved New York Knicks and the other 29 teams, I guess, whatever, we've got to get prepared in the, and we can confirm this, fully vaccinated Teal Memorial locker room. Let's go. Oh, hell yeah. Good to hear it. <laughs> Love to hear it. So you know what else I love to hear? Uh, I bet you love to hear about our patrons. I do, especially when we have patrons that upgrade. Shout out to Roast Beef Debris in honor of the first episode title of an Adam Mamawala episode of Horse. Roast Beef Debris has upgraded to the producer level status, meaning we will be saying it in every single episode, which is very fun. So shout out to them and to all of our producer level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, who did a very good job trash talking his Las Vegas Aces for beating my Seattle Storm recently, though let the record show a few days prior the storm beat the aces so we're even trust the process Siobhan Ellsbury shoo-ba-doo-ba-doo Godzilla got busy Steph Curry for three bang he sells she sells LaRon James Matt Barger NBA legend Robert Zachary no jazz no pizza Eileen Gazesh Avatar Kiyoshi don't go chasing Taco Falls Anna Borgeli Mitch Chrysler bang bang brown men can jump Jimmy Butler for two long-suffering Timberwolves fan and now roast beef debris yeah I feel weirdly hungry and disgusted hearing roast beef debris Mm -hmm. Uh, also congratulations to Mike Breen I believe he got inducted into the uh, Naismith Hall of Fame. Yes, he did. Mike Breen was a recipient of the Kurt Gowdy Award, which is basically how you can get into the Basketball Hall of Fame by being a broadcaster or a journalist. And he got that. And we might be uh, talking about our good old friend Mike Breen in my three on three in honor of this achievement. Ah, uh, very nice. Good teaser. Good teaser. <laughs> But first, let's talk about our sponsor for this episode. Adam, our sponsor of this episode of Horse is Stitch Fix. Hell yeah, I'm a big fan of Stitch Fix. Go on, I have talked to oodles and doodles about Stitch Fix across multiple podcasts that I run that they support, but what is your perspective on Stitch Fix? Well, here's the thing. Uh, what Stitch Fix does very well, and we will read the actual ad copy, but let me just riff a little bit about Stitch Fix. Uh, they get a vibe for what your style is, and then they choose outfits to send you And they kind of nail it because they ask you so many questions that they really figure out what you're into and what you're not. And this was actually my first Stitch Fix experience. Uh, I have been with people who uh, who use Stitch Fix. It's pretty cool. Uh, Really good quality stuff. What I love is that if you keep everything in the box, you get 25% off, which is dope. Uh, I'm going to let you do the real ad read, but Stitch Fix, great clothes. Seems like a great company. Well run. I'm a big fan. I'm into it. Yes, very good stuff. So they offer clothes that are hand-selected by expert stylists to fit your size, style, budget, whatever. As Adam said, you fill out a quiz that is thorough, but honestly, kind of fun to do. It is. To figure out, like, how how do I want my clothes to feel? And how do I want them to fit? And you can also vote thumbs up and thumbs down on pictures of outfits, like, would you wear this? And that really gives them a sense of what you like. Then they will send you a box of hand-picked items. You can kind of just say dealer's choice, or you can write a specific note and say, I want these particular things. I'm looking for this. They'll send you a 
box. You try on everything at home. You keep whatever you like. You only pay for what you keep. Everything else, they give you a prepaid mailing bag to send back to them. Very simple. Put them in, send it back. You only pay for what you keep. And like Adam said, as a horse listener, if you sign up at stitchfix.com slash horse, you will get 25% off if you keep everything in your fix. So that's stitchfix.com slash horse for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Again, stitchfix.com slash horse to get that discount. You can get those boxes. You also can get individual items. And that's what I did with this most recent Stitch Fix experience. It was the first time I did it, but I was specifically looking for a type of jacket and I was specifically looking for sweatpants shorts because given that I'm working from home a lot, I want some comfort, but I was getting too hot in my sweatpants now that it's warm. <laughs> so I got some lounge pink sweatpants shorts that are incredibly comfortable and I love them. And I got a type of jacket I've always been looking for. I can't wait to tell you why I'm laughing so hard. In my Stitch Fix box, one of the items they sent me was, I think, the exact shorts that you probably have, which were like a, like ah. a reddish, like pink sweatshorts. And I didn't end up keeping them. And what I said out loud was, who uh, wears sweatshorts? And now I know it's Mike mm-hmm. Schubert. They're incredibly comfortable. Don't get me wrong. Very nice shorts, but it just wasn't, wasn't my bag. But uh, clearly it was yours. Look, big work from home podcast boy that I am now. It's nice to have stuff that is comfortable, but not too warm. And I enjoy them quite a bit. But I guess my question with sweatshorts inherently is, is it kind of the sweater vest, but for your legs? Like you only want the top half of your legs to be really warm? It's, it's more about comfort than warmth. Okay. It's more of, I want my thighs to feel hugged but my calves and the open airness so that I don't get so hot in this always nice to find the episode title so early in an episode (laughs) it's like the side hug of clothes get a little bit of comfort but not too much where you feel too enclosed (laughs) (laughs) episode 76 I want my thighs to be hugged (laughs) (laughs) yep that's it Mm -hmm. stitch fix yay stitchfix.com slash horse so now we can get into full court press get it like the news Mm -hmm. so the playoffs are upon us There are many games currently happening, even in between the time in which we record this episode on Thursday, May 20th, and the time this episode comes out on Monday, May 24th. More games will have taken place, and we will know more about the playoff picture because currently the play-in tournament is happening. But we thought it would be nice to give everyone, similar to our drama draft, a little bit of what drama you could look for in all of the playoff matchups going on, maybe inspire you to have a team to root for, or just a reason to watch some of the games. Let's get, let's get into it. I'm excited. I uh, I feel like I watched more of the NBA playoffs last year than I had in probably the previous decade. And I don't know that I'll have as much time this year, but there are some really saucy matchups and I'm excited. There truly are. So let's start with the West. The play-in tournament is currently happening. So far, the Grizzlies have defeated the Spurs, and the Lakers, in a very dramatic game, have defeated the Warriors. So the Lakers are in as the seventh seed. The Grizzlies and the Warriors are fighting for the eighth seed. I believe the Warriors are going to win. I don't think that Steph Curry is going to allow this to slip through. So I would be very shocked if they didn't win. The Warriors just have so much more playoff experience than the Grizzlies. It's just a brutal draw for the number one and two seeds. Like the the Jazz and Suns, as we'll discuss, are the one and two seeds, and they will face the Lakers and probably the Warriors. Like that's that's a rough first round draw if you're a top seeded team. Yeah. So assuming that the Warriors beat the Grizzlies, the first matchup to discuss would be the number one seeded Utah Jazz against the number eight seeded Golden State Warriors. And you know we're gonna get so much shit from Grizzlies fans if we're wrong. Uh, oh good please do please please do give us give a shit. From Grizzly fan, whoever that may be. <laughs> yeah. From John Morant's mother who's certainly a, a dedicated listener of the show. You mean Ma Morant? Ma Morant! <laughs> oh, <laughs> So 
probably what we're going to have is Jazz versus Warriors. And this will be very interesting because even though the Jazz are the number one seed, no one believes in them. And that is a wild dichotomy to have between being the best record in the conference, yet no one thinks that the Jazz are a true contender, mainly because they don't have a big star. They have a lot of very good players, but they don't have like a guy. They don't have a LeBron, a Kawhi, a Kevin Durant. They've got a bunch of very solid players, no true star. But I think you they don't are, think Donovan Mitchell is in that category. I think he's good, but he's not a just give him the ball and let's figure it out kind of good. Yeah, uh, but he's he's young. I think in a couple of years he could be that. I just think currently he is not like a pulling case of emergency player like Steph Curry, where you can go uh, figure it out and then they do. So I think the Jazz are the ultimate test right now in can you just construct a team that is perfectly designed like they are and can that succeed in the playoffs or do you really need one of these guys and I think it will be interesting to see because the Warriors are the exact opposite where like they are solely relying on Steph Curry being a supernova from the planet basketball and <laughs> it'll be interesting to see these two teams go against each other <laughs> yeah I mean you put it in our Instagram stories via horse last night but the shot that he hit at the end of the first half like what, what are we doing what is that literally laughable I laughed out Allowed multiple times, not exaggerating, actual audible laughing at a couple of the shots Steph made. It's just ridiculous. And this series, if you like three-pointers, watch every game of this because the Jazz have set every single record in terms of team shooting for three-pointers and Steph Curry set his personal record for most three-pointers made in a season. So it's going to be a barrage of threes. I cannot wait. I love threes. It, it's just unbelievably fun to watch and it didn't seem like he could play at a higher level and he somehow figured it out. I will be actively upset if we don't get to see full-on playoff Steph. Right. I love the Grizzlies team. I think they're very fun, but I would be so sad to not see current Curry because without people like Clay Thompson on the team, Curry has to be super Curry and super Curry is so much fun to watch. He's so good at so many things on offense. You can't leave him room to shoot. You can't leave him room to drive. He can dribble through people. He makes these ridiculous acrobatic layup yeah. finishes and to see him do so much of the work is very entertaining. So I hope he makes it through. I think that series is going to be very fun, even though I think the Jazz will win it. I think it's every game will be very fun. Yeah. And it almost seems inevitable that we're going to get like a Steph going off for 55 in one of those games sort of situation. Of course. And it's just a matter of how many can he pull off? Can it be enough for the Warriors to win? Also, I, I don't have a ton of love for Draymond Green necessarily. Like, I don't feel any type of way about him, but he gets treated like Dennis Rodman used to get treated. Like, if he looks at somebody, he's getting called for a foul or a technical sometimes. Yeah. Do you, am I wrong that it's a little over the top? It's almost like predicting what they think he's going to do sometimes. And people can flop and then he gets a foul call up. I think he has entered into Rashid Wallace territory where sure, he was so rude comparison. to the refs right. for so long. But the Rashid one is more complicated. There's some good videos about how complicated refs treated him and stuff. But I think that's what it's come down to is like, he's got a bad track record. The technical they called on him was very silly, I thought last night. So it's unfortunate. I love Draymond. I think in the playoffs, you should be allowed to yell whatever you want at the refs. Like there should be no technical for yelling at a ref. I think it should be completely void in the playoffs. <laughs> it depends on what you yell, but sure. Yeah, for the, the, the volume should be cranked down. Anyway, continuing on, the next matchup would be the number two Phoenix Suns. Wonderful season, very surprising season for them against the Lakers. And this is just, 
you got to feel bad for the Suns. Yeah. I, it'll, this, this, I think, would be very, very interesting because, again, it's a similar thing, but I think more people are expecting the Lakers to win just because you've got LeBron, you've got Anthony Davis, what's going to happen? But the Suns, again, they're a well-constructed team. Chris Paul's got good leadership, but it's just a test of can they bring it into the playoffs, especially because a lot of their guys don't have experience. Yeah. I mean, I would hate to be the Suns right now. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you're probably going to have to face the Lakers no matter what. So now you just face them earlier rather than later. And it'll be very interesting. And if they win, whew, whew, that'll be very, very spicy. But yeah, I think similarly, it's just a question of even though the Suns have the higher seed, I think the perception is that they are the underdog. Not that that's the situation with the Jazz, but for this matchup, I think people would very much expect the Lakers to beat them. And I think it could make for a very complex and tough series. Yeah. The next one would be Denver versus Portland. This is, again, very interesting because Denver was looking like an unstoppable team until Jamal Murray, unfortunately, had his season-ending injury. They've still been very good even when Jamal Murray was out. They finished the season with a very good record, and I will be very interested to see if Nikola Jokic can just be ridiculous. From a drama-like fan perspective, even if the Nuggets can't pull this off, you're going to get Jokic versus Dame, which are just two of the most fun offensive basketball players to watch. And they're very different, which is what makes the series very fun in that Jokic takes these absurd circus shots from the post that don't look like they have any business of going in and then they swish. He makes these ridiculous passes where it looks like the ball phases through defenders. Yeah. And then Dame Lillard can shoot from full court if he's not guarded, basically. So I think you've got two very different styles that are both so much fun to watch. This series is going to be entertaining. Yeah, I, there's really not a series that I'm not interested in. Right, which is so rare. It is so rare that there's usually some sort of sleeper snoozer series, but especially in the West, everything is very, very fun. And I think Blazers versus Nuggets is especially fun too. And then finally, you have Clippers versus Mavericks. This one, I would call the snoozer, but it's not because the teams aren't good. It's just I dislike both of these teams for very different reasons. I don't like the Mavs because of all the bad blood with Chris Stapp's Porzingis trade and all of that. And then also, I'm not too fond of how Luka complains all the time after fouls that he thinks happened. Mm -hmm. And then the Clippers are just... They're also a bunch of grumpy boys, Kawhi and Paul George, and we've talked at length about how people don't like the way that team came together. So I don't know. I feel like this will be a very grumpy series, and I <laughs> I personally don't think I'll be watching it. But in terms of like good basketball players on the court, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, it's it, it should be a very fun series. I just think it's too grumpy for my tastes. <laughs> I think that's a fair opinion to have. Shall we head east, my friend? Yes, let's head east. So the Celtics defeated the Wizards, so they are going to be the seven seed. The Wizards will be playing the Pacers to determine who is the eight seed. I think that is very much a toss-up of a game. I think it does come down to, are we getting incredible Russell Westbrook that turned your fantasy team into a late-season contender, or do we get Russell Westbrook from the play-in game where he wasn't too good and it was not fun to watch. Right. So I would very much love to see Russ go supernova and have them make it into the playoffs. But whoever wins that game is going to be playing the Philadelphia 76ers, who are just a monster of a team. They are so large and so good. And Doc Rivers is coaching them very well. And Joel Embiid is very fun to watch. The Sixers are looking powerful, especially with Embiid healthy again. I feel like they will make mincemeat of whoever they play. So it might this one I don't think would be the most entertaining series, but yeah. it's never a bad decision to watch Joel Embiid play basketball. Now, is that a Waltism? Making mincemeat of their opponents. Ooh, 
I think it could be. It certainly could be. It sounds like the sort of flowery language he would use. <laughs> I mean, I'll take that compliment. Anytime someone says, is anything that you did close to Clyde Frazier, it's a compliment. Talking, dressing, playing basketball, having cool facial hair. Can your first indoor dining experience be at Walt Frazier's restaurant? Can we make that happen? It would depend on how good I feel about their protocols, but I have not indoor dined yet. So, protocols uh, and basketballs at Walt Clyde Frazier's. That'd be very good. That'd be very, very good. <laughs> so the next series would be the two-seeded Brooklyn Nets against the Boston Celtics, the grumpy triumvirate against the Celtics. I mean, this will be very fun. The Celtics have been riddled by injury, but they've got a lot of really good players. Same thing with the Nets. It's just a matter of like which team has it more together. I think from the intrigue of the Nets have not really played together with their big three a whole lot this season. I think this will be an interesting series to watch because if they don't gel, you could have people overreacting. Like if the Celtics win game one, the mm-hmm. overreacting by the media will be so funny. Do you think this is Brad Stevens' last stand? It's hard because... With the injuries, you can point to something else. If it's an embarrassing loss, I think Brad Stevens gets fired. If they get swept, I think so. But if they win at least two games, I think he's fine. Yeah. But from a drama perspective, checking out if the Nets can get it together makes this an interesting thing, especially the first game, because just the red flags will be all over the place if they lose. Next, we have the Bucks versus the Heat, which is very interesting because last year, the Heat pulled off that huge upset of the Bucks. This time, it feels like the Bucks have the upper hand in that even though the Bucks aren't the number one seed this year, they feel more like a competent playoff team in that they brought in Drew Holiday. They did a lot of things to try to be better for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if they can fend off the heat this time as opposed to getting upset by the heat. It's it's big revenge game energy. It's can we get revenge on you versus the heat saying like, we don't care if we've had a worse season. We've got your number. You're a bunch of clowns. And uh, I think it could get testy. Yeah. And we may see playoff Jimmy Buckets again. Right. And we could see Jimmy Butler yelling at people. We could see Giannis getting grumpy. I think this one of of all the East things in terms of first round having any sort of drama, bad blood, potential for on-court fights. I think this is the number one because these two teams have a legitimate history. And I think the Bucs were very upset by how much the Heat trounced them in the bubble. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I guess that's all the playoff matchups and we can move on to that actually happen. We cannot because the final one is the New York Knicks. My beloved New York Knicks is the four seed against the Atlanta Hawks is the five seed. Of course you'd make that the headliner. (laughs) Hey, it's just how it worked out. We just won one, two, three, four. I don't know what to say. This is going to be the most wholesome playoff thing because both of these teams are just happy to be here. The Hawks went into the season just hoping to make the playoffs. You mean the Trey-offs? Yay, the the Trey-young-offs. The Hawks just wanted to make the eight seed. That was all they wanted to do. And to be five is awesome. I'm so happy for them. They've got a really fun team with cool uniforms. Shout out to Atlanta. The Knicks just wanted to like look competent. And now we're the four seed, which is wildly above expectations. I honestly, from everyone that I've talked to, a fan of either team, as long as it's not a sweep, everyone's going to be happy. So I think this is just like all smiles around. Yeah, but if the Knicks lose in five games, you're not going to be happy. Let's be honest. No, I, I feel like if it's a six game series, either way, no fan base is going to be upset because they didn't even think that this was going to happen. The only fun wrench in it is I think that of all the teams in the playoffs, the Knicks think the Hawks are the least scary and vice versa in terms of like what right. teams they were realistically going to play. Because towards the end, there was all this jostling of like, we might play the Heat, we might play the Bucks. I think that both of our franchises circled each other as the team they wanted to face. 
So uh, if it's not a close series, I think there will be some disappointment. But again, this is just the we're happy to be here bowl. And uh, I think it's going to be wholesome and fun. I wish I could go back in time to talk to you the night that the Knicks drafted Obi Toppin and you had a full on meltdown on Instagram live to tell you (laughs) that the Knicks would be the four seed in the NBA playoffs. You would not have believed me. Now, I'm not saying it's because of Obi Toppin, but I just want you one more time for our listeners to eat your words about Derrick Rose. Yes, my diet has consisted of words talking about Derrick Rose, more so Tom Thibodeau. I was much harsher against the Tibbs hiring than I was the Derrick Rose trade. But they've both been great. And even Julius Randle. I talked so much trash about Julius Randle last season and how much I hated him and how I would have traded him for a bag of salt and vinegar potato chips. I mean, respectfully, salt and vinegar potato chips are delicious, especially if we're talking kettle cooked, which again, kettle cooked is the way to go. Man, so solid. We got to get a kettle cooked sponsor. What are we doing here? (laughs) Got to send out some emails. But yeah, those three people have made me eat so many of my words and it's it's been ridiculous. And I'm just I'm just happy. I'll be watching every minute of every game. And I'm just I'm just happy. It's, it's good. I haven't felt this way as a Knicks fan in a long time. They're happy to be there and you're just happy to be here watching them. Exactly. So that is the playoff recap of what teams you could be invested in the drama of all different things, whatever your flavor is. So hopefully this was a nice guide to helping you decide what games you might want to watch in this first round. And before we move on, uh, quick shout out to Deb Mama Walla for just a oh. truly legendary tweet. An accidental roast of you. Oh yeah, she it was completely meant to be very sweet and I know that it was. Uh, I didn't even know that photo existed. If you haven't seen it, follow us at horse underscore hoops on Twitter because we'll get to that later. <laughs> my mom tweeted a picture of me as a I don't know, second grader in my basketball uniform with a haircut that looks like my dad gave it to me. I'm going to assume that's not the case, but it was a pretty rough bowl cut. Just holding a basketball in front of that classic like fake crowd that used to pose in front of as a kid. And it is just, it's everything you would want it to be. And it was pretty great. And she put it with the caption, Hoopy Birthday. Unbelievable. Which is a pun I never thought of. Unbelievable. I can't believe. It's just so, it's so fantastic. Wonderful stuff. I, it'll probably be the photo for this episode of Horse. Why not? You know. Oh, I would love Hoopy that. Birthday. Here's a new <laughs> episode of Horse. And with Full Core Press Complete, we can now move on to your That Actually Happened, Adam. Yes, we can. So as we have alluded to on the podcast before, we do read all of your emails. And by the way, please hit us up at horsehoopspod at gmail.com. We will respond, but it might take a while. That's our slogan. Uh, anyway, occasionally we get specific requests of topics for that actually happened or three on three. And this is one of those times. A couple months ago, we received an email from Matt Stetz that said the following. Hey guys, I absolutely love the podcast and got into it somewhat recently. Horse is pretty much my daily listen as I drive into work. Uh, I believe you mean Gallup. (laughs) And lucky for me, there were a lot of old episodes to catch up on. So I started from episode one and got all the way to current. Hopefully I didn't accidentally miss any. Anyway, something that has been mentioned from time to time is the idea of doing it. That actually happened about the Chris Paul trade veto to the Lakers. Now, Matt did type Christ Paul. I don't think that was on purpose, but sometimes he does play like Jesus. They do call Chris Paul the point God. So Christ Paul is not too far off. Exactly. But We are not going to talk about Christ's Paul. We are going to talk about the Chris Paul trade veto to the Lakers. Uh, Matt says, I know about this happening, but know nothing of the details. Every episode I listen to, I would hope I finally got to hear the full story. Is there any way you guys can try to do this on an upcoming episode? Uh, Thanks again and keep up the good work. Well, I have some good news for you, Matt. Today is that day. We're talking about the Chris Paul trade that didn't happen. Hashtag basketball reasons. Oh, big time. Now, for those of you who have no idea what I'm alluding to, let's go back to the beginning. Most of you probably know who Chris Paul is. Uh, Some of you may know who Cliff Paul is. Chris (laughs) Paul is on the Phoenix Suns. Cliff Paul? Cliff Paul 
Paulus Carlton from The Fresh Prince. No, no, no. That's the new Chris Paul. Cliff Paul is just Chris Paul with a fake mustache on, and he wears Argyle sweaters. Oh, right. What an embarrassment. Misha, keep this in. <laughs> now, way back in 2005, CP3 was drafted fourth overall by the New Orleans Hornets. Yes, they were the Hornets back then, but we're not going to get into it. During his final season in New Orleans, the Hornets qualified for the playoffs and were matched up with the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. Paul had an absolutely ridiculous series, averaging 22 points, 11.5 assists, 6.7 rebounds, and 1.8 steals per game on 54.5% shooting. So just a dominant series. Man. Very good. Uh, New Orleans was eliminated in six games, and ownership, fearing that Paul would leave the franchise via free agency, began actively pursuing a trade that would provide the team equitable compensation in return for his services, which were, as one can imagine, very highly sought after at that time. Now, to explain this a bit further for folks who don't follow the NBA that closely, in the NBA and most professional sports in general, players are signed to a contract for a finite period of time to make a finite amount of money. Sometimes there are bonuses and that sort of thing, but basically that's what you get. Now, depending on how team-friendly the deal is, meaning that the player might have accepted lesser money before blossoming into a star, that gives the team leverage to get assets in exchange for a player who would make a big impact on a contender. It's an unfortunate part of modern sports, and more often than not, teams don't want to bank on a player re-signing, so they'll trade him preemptively, and that is precisely what happened that following offseason. Yeah, and you'll see this with disgruntled stars. More so in the past, it would be teams trading a guy out of fear of leaving, whereas in recent years with Anthony Davis and Harden, it's more of like a get me out of here now right, situation. Right, right. I think that's more along with just social media and how the world is now. But it's always been a thing of trying to trade a guy for something rather than lose him for nothing when you mm-hmm. know he's probably not going to return to the team. Exactly. And and that does make pragmatic sense. Like you have an asset you don't want to end up with nothing. But then it's it's tough because a lot of times what'll happen is if your team is like on the cusp of contending, owners have to make that decision and GMs have to make that decision of, do we go all in this year and hope that we somehow make it work? Or do we sell off at this point and we'll never know what happened, but at least we know we're getting something back. So it's always a kind of a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. So on December 8th of that year, this is 2011, the Hornets agreed to a three-team trade that would have sent Paul to the Lakers. The NBA, who owned the Hornets at the time, nullified the deal, with Commissioner David Stern claiming New Orleans would be better off keeping Paul. The teams involved in the trade attempted to lobby the league to reverse its ruling and reconstruct the deal, but to no avail. Just four days later, on December 12th, the Hornets agreed to a trade sending Paul to the Los Angeles Clippers, but the deal broke down after the NBA added additional demands to the original terms. Finally, two days later, those same teams finally made the trade, sending Paul and two future second-round draft picks to the Clippers for Eric Gordon, Chris Kamen, Al Farouk Aminu, and the Minnesota Timberwolves' unprotected first-round pick in the upcoming draft, which was used to draft Austin Rivers. Now, I know there's a lot to unpack here, so let's break it up piece by piece. First of all, Adam, did you just say that the NBA itself owned the Hornets? <laughs> yes, that is what I said. Well, how and why did that happen? According to a Bleacher Report article from way back in 2010 when this all went down, longtime Hornets owner George Shin had been diagnosed with prostate cancer the previous year and said that he wanted to move on from NBA ownership to focus on his faith, along with spreading the awareness of cancer to help fight the disease. The NBA had been contemplating purchasing the franchise from Shin in order to have complete control over the permanent owner of the New Orleans Hornets. So think of it as like a temporary situation. Like the the NBA never planned to own the Hornets forever. It was like in a transitional sort of time. Right. It was basically like the guy wanted to sell the team and with the health concerns and stuff, you couldn't have a long drawn out process. Even look at what's happening with the Timberwolves being sold. It's happened over the course of years. And this guy didn't have that time. So 
my understanding is that the NBA was going to buy the team and then they were going to sell it so that this guy didn't have to rush into making a bad sale and someone was just going to swoop in and buy it for an undervalued amount. Right. And beyond that, the NBA was also concerned because the Hornets weren't doing well. Like they wanted to make sure that Mm -hmm. the Hornets ended up being owned by somebody who actually knew what they were doing because they had been struggling with attendance and- And they just moved- Exactly. And that's the other thing that the league didn't want to see the organization change cities again because it's just not good for business. Now, David Stern explained the decision by saying, quote, in the absence of any viable purchaser seeking to own the Hornets in New Orleans, I recommended to the NBA Board of Governors that the best way to assure stability and the adequate funding of the franchise would be for the league to step in and complete the transaction and assume control. So think of it this way, like each NBA team is an asset of the league as a whole. So the NBA buying back the Hornets is kind of like a parent, like welcoming a struggling child back to live at home. It's like, let us help you out till you get back on your feet and then we'll like send you back out there once you find a good landing spot. However, this can create some really interesting scenarios as we're about to find out. Next, you're saying the NBA vetoed a trade that had already been agreed upon? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Like when you try to make a trade in a video game and it won't go through because it's deemed unfair? Yes, kind of like that. Well, isn't that some type of conflict of interest? You'd certainly think so. And it all seems kind of shady and weird, but again, the Hornets were about to default on loans to the NBA and were operating at a loss to their ownership. So according to financial documentation obtained by Deadspin, as of June 30th, 2009, the partner's deficit totaled $83 million. And this whole situation of a league or a commissioner owning a team is not unprecedented in other sports, believe it or not, because for a time, the Milwaukee Brewers were owned by Bud Selig, who was simultaneously the commissioner of baseball. And for those of you keeping track at home, yes, that was another baseball reference on this basketball podcast. Now, here's where things get really fascinating. In an SB Nation article about the sale published December 8th, 2010, literally exactly one year before the Lakers trade almost happened, it stated, for one thing, Chris Paul's not going anywhere. Now, the rationale for this was the NBA owns the Hornets at this point, Chris Paul is the best player on the Hornets. It would behoove them to not trade somebody who's going to add value to a team that they're trying to get the most value for in finding a new owner. So now we start to see why the NBA didn't want Chris Paul to be traded, at least not for a crappy return. So what would the trade actually have been? Because we haven't talked about that. Now, it would have involved the Lakers, the Hornets, and the Rockets, and here's what would have gone down. The Lakers would have gotten Chris Paul. That's it. The Rockets would have gotten Pau Gasol, and that would have been a very interesting wrinkle. And the Hornets would have gotten Lamar Odom from the Lakers, and Kevin Martin, Luis Scola, and Goran Dragic from the Rockets. Now, according to an article from NBA.com, David Stern was in fact within his rights to deny the trade, given that the league owned a majority stake in the Hornets. Years after stepping down, he explained his decision and clarified a few misconceptions. Stern said, the GM, Del Demps of New Orleans, was not authorized to make that trade. And acting on behalf of owners, we decided not to make it. I was an owner rep. There was nothing to quote void. It just never got made, which... I don't know. Like, I I get it, but I still don't fully get it. And I don't want to bury the lead here, which is that Chris Paul would have been playing with Kobe Bryant. Right. Like, the entire face of the NBA would have been completely different. Now, a few days later, Paul was traded to the LA Clippers for Eric Gordon, Alfred Grimino, Chris Kamen, and the Timberwolves' unprotected pick. That deal combined him with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan in Los Angeles, thus giving birth to Lob City, which was a, a huge moment for the NBA, and put the Clippers on the map after being a joke for, really, the entire history of the franchise. Now, what does CP3 think about all of this himself? In an interview last February, he said the following, quote, It's even crazier to think about it now, given the situation in the past few months, losing Kobe and David Stern. Man, it would have been special. When asked about how close the CP3 to Lakers trade was to going through, Chris Paul said, I'll talk about it at some point, but me and Kobe had actually gotten on the phone and talked about this and that. Me and my brother were about to get on a flight to LA. Oh man, there are times where I'm like, 
this would have been, but I can't. I can't get caught up in that. It all worked out. And the thing is, David Stern passed away last year, and we may never fully understand why this trade didn't happen. Like, I did a ton of research for this episode, and the best answer I came up with was simply that Stern thought it was a shitty deal. In a USA Today article from 2018, Stern stated, quote, I did it because I was protecting the then Hornets, now Pelicans. To this day, everyone always asks me, well, why did you keep Chris Paul from going to the Lakers? I didn't keep him. I didn't approve the trade. No team sells or trades a future Hall of Famer without the owner signing off, and I was the owner's rep. But I wasn't going to hand up Dell Demps, again, the GM of the Hornets. Then it says Stern confided that he, quote, didn't do a great job of explaining it at the time, and then said, there was a trade that Dell Demps wanted us to approve, and I said, heck no, but he had told Rockets GM Daryl Morey and then Lakers GM Mitch Kupchak that he had authority to do it, and he didn't, so I said no. And that's the best I was able to do. I wish I had a better answer for you, Matt, and, and thank you for the question and the request, but it still remains one of the biggest what-ifs in NBA history. And while I don't always love Bill Simmons, he did an incredible job running through all of the potential ripple effects that this trade that never was had throughout the league in a short piece back in 2014, and we will leave you with the audio of that before jumping into Mike's three-on-three. And that actually happened, except that it didn't. Yeah, I think what the conspiracy theories around this trade boil down to is something that you alluded to earlier, which is the conflict of interest. Because what a lot of people thought was actually happening was David Stern. Yes, the NBA owns the Hornets, but he's also the commissioner of the league. The conspiracy was that David Stern thought that this trade was too favorable for the Lakers and it would have made them like a super team before super teams. And that was why he actually vetoed it under the guise of it not being a good enough deal for the Hornets. And I think what gives some validity to those theories is that the trade that they made with the Clippers was fine, but not fair. It didn't feel very fair. Eric Gordon was this young, promising star. He didn't end up living up to his potential. The Timberwolves pick is fine. The other players that they got were all right, but... I don't know that that Clippers trade is that much better than what they would have gotten from the Lakers. So I think people just thought that he had a vested interest in trying to keep the league competitive and not try to make some team way too good by putting Chris Paul on the Lakers. But I mean, they would have lost Pau Gasol. So it's not like the Lakers would have kept all of the pieces together. Right. But I think that's why people have all these hmm, thoughts about it. Because sure, you could believe that he turned down that trade because it wasn't good enough because it doesn't seem like that great of a return. But then you see the Clippers trade they made and it was not very good. Now, maybe you can say that Chris Paul's value was flattened since they already knew he was going to trade him. So teams aren't offering as much. So it's kind of hard to know. But I think that is what leads people to think Stern did it actually to avoid the Lakers being too good. Right, and and- Everything that happens causes other things to happen. But this is one of the ultimate like butterfly effect moments in the NBA mm-hmm. where if this had gone through, so many things that happened afterwards would not have happened or would not have happened right. the same way. And it's very, very interesting to think about. The Rockets look completely different. The Hornets look completely different. Even little tiny things like the picks become different. So different players get drafted to different teams. Huge sliding doors moment. And the final note I will say before moving on to that Bill Simmons clip is that when asked about this, David Stern said that the trade was vetoed for basketball reasons. And that became... Just a huge joke that still persists to this day, 
even with one of the fantasy leagues that I play in, one of the divisions is called the basketball division and the other one is the reasons division. So it's always basketball versus reasons. I love that. <laughs> okay, so what if David Stern didn't veto the trade? Let's see where those dominoes scatter. Houston can't make 2012's James Harden trade, not enough assets. Harden stays in OKC and the Thunder might have a title or three. No Harden in Houston means no Dwight in Houston. Does Dwight jump to Dallas in 2013? Does he stay with Kobe and CP3 in LA? Would we be calling them the big three? Toronto gets Steve Nash, not Kyle Lowry, so they're a lottery team. Where does Kyle Lowry go? 2012 New Orleans wins 40-plus games, so they're not getting the number one pick. Meaning no Anthony Davis in New Orleans. He could be carrying Charlotte or Washington right now. No Dragic in Phoenix. No Eric Bledsoe either. He's still a Clipper. No fun for Phoenix, basically. And Lob City never happens without CP3. So the Clips don't fetch $2 billion, and maybe Doc just stays in Boston. Maybe Brad Stevens never comes to the NBA. Maybe Brooklyn doesn't trade for KG and Pierce. Maybe Boston doesn't get all those Brooklyn picks. Or maybe Doc Rivers jumps to the Lakers. CP3, Kobe, Dwight, and Doc? Maybe Kobe doesn't break down in 2013. Maybe we're headed for a Lakers-Cavs finals right now. Maybe the Lakers would have a present and a future. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Dominoes. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Okay, so as we mentioned earlier in the episode, Mike Breen, one of the beloved broadcasters, of, ah, one of the beloved broadcasters of my beloved New York Knicks, the play-by-play guy, recently was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame for his broadcasting prowess. So, in honor of this, to pay homage to that man, I have put together a Mike Breen-themed three-on-three, and this will consist of his three best bang-related moments. Oh, yes. And his three best non-bang-related moments. I cannot wait. Before we get into it, I want to give love to Mike Breen for something he did very recently, which was after he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, he broadcast that Knicks-Celtics game the next day, and Mike Breen referred to Taco Fall, a player in the Celtics, accidentally calling him... Taco Bell and Clyde Frazier made fun of him and here's the clip it's a wonderful moment well, keeps it alive but right to Taco Bell here comes Parker did I just say Taco Bell <laughs> oh my god oh my goodness you must be hungry bro I need to get some, I need to get some sleep <laughs> never forget kids don't go chasing Taco Bells no because that's just going to be bad for your health <laughs> So let's start with the non-bangs so that we can end on the bangs. So the third best non-bang moment is something that actually took place in March of this year when the NBA got shut down because of COVID and we were all still learning a lot about the virus. Mike Breen put together a video in partnership with the NBA where he explains the importance of things like washing your hands and social distancing and encourages us all to do that so that we can get back to playing basketball. And he's doing all of this in front of a basket. He finishes his message, which is about a minute long, turns around, makes a shot and says bang before it even goes in. And then he drains it. Which means that he either did that on the first try or he went through that whole thing a bunch of times and then had to make the shot at the end. That's impressive. My bias brain would like to think that he did it on the first try. My critical brain notices that he sounds slightly out of breath during this take, making me think he may have just run to get a basketball and run back in front of the camera. Well, it must have been so <laughs> frustrating every time he did the whole thing and then missed. I was like, God 
damn it. Yeah, I was in a similar boat where I did this for the Kickstarter that I was doing. I was trying to get it all in one take, a full two minute video. It is hard to say two minutes full of stuff and not have anything go wrong or not have any super loud things in my New York apartment happen. And it took me two consecutive hours to nail just a two minute thing. So yeah, I feel the pain. I like the, there's a comment that says, was this his first attempt? Of course. Breen only gives out bangs to those who deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I think it's the one time Mike Breen said bang about himself. Phenomenal. It's pretty good. There's, there are a lot of good comments on this video. There's one that says, humanity, it's time to pay the price. Hand down, man down. Mama, there goes that virus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mark Jackson has entered the chat. Would be great as if there was a Jeff Van Gundy fake account that just wrote a 12 page thesis statement about something completely unrelated since he does that every broadcast. Just, ah, you know what makes me upset about the NBA and just monologues? Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. You're not on a podcast. You're on TV. You are not a a Jeff Van Stan? No, because he's just, he thinks he's on a podcast and he's on a national broadcast game and I just want him to stop talking so I can watch the game. And he's also one of these guys where he refuses to adapt to the new NBA, but in not like a crappy Charles Barkley way where he's like, oh, you can't win with jump shooting. Jeff Van Gundy tries to trick you into thinking that he's hip with the modern game, but he's not. He's still one of those guys that like doesn't believe in advanced numbers, but hides it better. And I don't like that. I think that's a fair criticism. Embrace the now, Jeff. And if you want to yell about basketball stuff for an hour consecutively, start a podcast, please. That Mike will not listen to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Won't listen to it at all. The second best non-bang Mike Breen moment is more of just a turn of phrase that he uses. We all know Mike Breen for saying bang. He also has some other ones where he will say things in a similar cadence like it's good or puts it in. Very excited, positive basketball shot commentary. But one that I think doesn't get as much love is in high stress, critical moments of a game. If someone misses a shot by a considerable margin, Mike Breen will scream way off and it's really good. Like it's very fun to hear him have the equal level of excitement. And I couldn't find like, I'll try to see if I can find a YouTube clip of it because it's easy to find best Mike Breen bang moments. Not as easy to find best time he said some guy sucks at basketball, but he'll just (laughs) let out a big like way off. But it's, it's done in a way where you can tell he is not ridiculing the player but just actively portraying what is happening in the game. But I didn't realize until someone brought it up on Twitter that he does say that frequently enough that it is kind of like a trademark, and I love it. Yeah, no, when you said that, I can definitely hear that in my head for sure. Right, because if anything, it's like a compliment to the defender for forcing the player. So it, it describes what's going on without putting down the player too bad, but it's still got that excitement because in these circumstances, sometimes a miss is as dramatic as a make, especially if it's going for a game winner or something, because if that shot goes in, really excited for one team. If it goes out, really excited for the other team and way off accurately depicts that. So the final number one non-bang moment from Mike Breen, of course, involves our beloved commentator, Walt Clyde Frazier, where the two of them are commentating a Knicks game and they are discussing NBA legend A.C. Green. Robert Sacre? Not not NBA legend Robert Sacre. A.C. Green, who at the time of this at least held the NBA record for consecutive games played. He played 1,192 games consecutively. And they are talking about this on the broadcast And Clyde Frazier brings up something that is true and is known and is related to AC Green. I know where this is going. Was that appropriate to talk about on television? Maybe not. 
But this clip, as I've just sent you the YouTube video, is called Walt Frazier's Classic Fornicating Comment. Because A.C. Green was known for abstaining and refraining from sexual activity. He was, and this is not to put down A.C. Green. Clyde Frazier brought this up on air, and Mike Breen reacts to Clyde being absurd on air very well by kind of laughing it off. But then, you know Mike Breen is chill because he doesn't try to sweep it under the rug. He laughs about this, and then Clyde then continues to talk about the the record of games played. And when he says he refers to blah, 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 the record, Mike Breen goes, which one are you talking about? Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> it could be talking about the basketball or the fornicating. Ah, it's so good. Unbelievable. Goodness gracious, Clyde. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious, Clyde. And then Clyde starts to say that's a record that won't be broken. And he says, which one are you talking about? And then Clyde follows up by saying, like, in this league, oh, I don't think either of them are going to be broken. <laughs> it's just a very fun way to not just put down a ridiculous moment, like get the most out of it, but still talk about it in a way that sure is PG rated, but is still entertaining. And, and of course, Walt would say fornicating. How else would he describe <laughs> sex? Well, AC didn't believe in fornicating, Mike. Goodness gracious, Clyde. <laughs> he was, he, I think he admitted that. So, yes, yes, he yeah. did. Right? <laughs> uh, but that's a record I, I don't think, well, I think Randy Which, which one are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So now we can round this out with the best bangs. And, and much like Zoe Deschanel's hairdresser, now we can round this out with the best bangs. <laughs> So what's great about this is that there's so many just great NBA moments that Mike Breen happened to be commentating for that it was just like picking from the best moments in basketball history almost when I pick these. So really great stuff going to be in the honorable mention section on patreon.com slash horse hoops. But the number three best bang is, I hate to bring this up for you, Adam, I don't know if it's still a sore spot, in the iconic Carmelo Anthony Easter game against the Bulls, mm-hmm. he, where he made a three-pointer to tie the game right before the fourth quarter ended. And speaking of making fun of Jeff Van Gundy, one of my favorite things, aside from the bang that Mike Breen lets out that we'll play a clip of, what's great is Carmelo has the ball, there's like 12 seconds left, and Mike Breen asks Jeff Van Gundy, should the Bulls foul? Because that would force him to shoot two free throws, wouldn't get it to a point where he could make three points, then you're going to have fouling go back and forth, but you would do this out of fear of Carmelo making the shot, and Mike Breen says, should they foul him? And Jeff Van Gundy goes, no! And then Carmelo drains the fucking shot. (laughs) Knicks down three, should the Bulls foul? No. Anthony for three. I remember exactly where I was when that game was happening. I was watching it live. I was in my apartment in Hoboken with Lee of Charles Oak Lee fame in our fantasy league, a good friend of mine. You always have the best chance of uh, one of your Jewish friends saying yes to hanging out on Easter. That's what I've learned in Easter's (laughs) past. But he came over to my house. He's a huge Knicks fan. We watched the game. I was none too pleased, but hell of a game, hell of a call. Uh, I was pissed, but like, gotta give credit where it's due, both to Carmelo and to Mike Green. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the second best, and this is something I I didn't even realize, this is such an iconic moment. Did you know Mike Breen has the bang call for Ray Allen's amazing shot over the Spurs to send that game into overtime? Mike Breen was commentating. I think I did know that, yeah. But uh, unbelievable moment on so many levels. And the fact that Breen was the one calling it makes it even better. I mean, for anyone who's not familiar, and I'm sure we can put a clip to it, the footwork involved in Ray Allen, like simultaneously moving backwards, getting his feet set, catching the ball and shooting in one motion to tie the game in an elimination game for the Heat. 
almost losing the finals is like, I did not like that team one bit, but it was a hell of a play. And it shows the work ethic of Ray Allen because after he made that shot and people were interviewed about it, people said he practiced that a lot. Mm -hmm. He would practice any type of shot he could take and running backwards enough to where he knows where his feet are without looking down was part of it. And also shout out to Chris Bosh, who's also going to be inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame next year. Cool. I, I think that's the best rebound of all time. Chris, yep. LeBron shoots at three, bricks it. Chris Bosh gets the rebound over three dudes and then makes a perfect pass to Ray Allen who knocks it down. And then Mike Breen's bank call is just iconic. And just that is such a high intensity energy moment. And it shows how tremendous he is at calling the game because you have to toe the line between describing factually what is happening in the game, but then also conveying the emotion behind what's happening. And Mike Breen, especially in this call, just does such a good job of letting you know what's going on, keeping in mind what's at stake, talking in a way where you know this is a big shot. And then once it goes in, erupting. And it's just fantastic. It was an unbelievable shot, unbelievable call. It's a real shame that half of the Heat fan at the game missed it, but whew. Tough look. You got to beat that traffic, though. I mean, if you're oh. if you're paying seven thousand dollars to go to an NBA Finals game, I mean, you, you got to beat the traffic. I will never understand that group of people that left because even when I go to a regular season Knicks game and they lose by forty points, I stay until the game's over because I want to get my money. I paid for the ticket. I'm watching the whole game. I don't understand. Completely agree. We'll go. So the final number one bang, we all should have seen this coming. I know what it's going to be, but I can't wait. It's the 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 first double bang that I think ever happened. There has been one since at least with Luka Doncic, and that's going to be an honorable mention one. But the first truly iconic bang bang, which is the namesake of our producer level patron, is Steph Curry's huge game winner over the Thunder from almost half court. This again was one of those moments where I was watching this game at home. I remember exactly where I was. And this one, it wasn't a finals game like the previous one. It wasn't any particular big stakes other than these two teams were very good. And it was just one of those games where I was like, oh, the Thunder really good this year. The Warriors are really good this year. This would be a fun game to watch on a random Wednesday. And it turned out to be one of the greatest basketball games in the history of the universe. Uh, It's the fact that he released a double bang. It just shows how ridiculous this shot was. This was like truly when we were realizing that Steph taking these shots is not a bad shot. Yeah, this was Steph becoming Steph. Like swaggy, I'm going to like do the Bernie dance on the court, mm-hmm. Steph. And I am genuinely grateful that I watch every minute of all three of these games. I wish I had as much time as I apparently used to to, to <laughs> watch basketball. But I mean, if you have not seen the play, Steph in a tied game pulls up from 40 feet. He's, he mm-hmm. shoots from 40 feet. He's like, not. he's barely past half court, drills it, and Breen loses it, as we yeah. all did watching it. Right. Be- and, and what makes it more ridiculous of a shot and even better of a call is that Mike Breen points out why this shot is so ridiculous. Because first off, there was a good chunk of time left on the clock. Mm -hmm. Steph could have tried to dribble to get closer. But if you do, there's more defenders, whatever. So Steph decided open 40 footer is better than contested 30 footer, which is not a decision that most humans make. But Steph has the confidence to do so. The other thing was the Warriors had a timeout. 
They made a huge defensive stop to even get the ball back in this situation, which was a huge play, but they have it back. They could have used a timeout and shout out to Steve Kerr for having confidence in his player and knowing that the Warriors are better off trying to catch the Thunder off guard. If you take a timeout, sure, you get to plan on offense, but the Thunder also get to plan on defense. Exactly. And Steve Kerr knew, let's not do it. We're just going to trust Steph here and... In the call, Mike Breen points out they have a timeout. They decide not to use it. Steph shoots and it shows why Mike Breen is a Hall of Famer Mm because just towing that line between emotion and description is huge. And you don't even need to be watching the game to to like be able to see this kind of thing. And it's just a great moment and a great call. And I think if it's not as great of a call, you don't remember it as iconic of a moment. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry way downtown. It's something that I think can be unappreciated at times, but the double bang for this shot, all-timer, all-timer. Yeah, it really does take you out of it as a a huge sports fan when you see one of those big moments and then you hear the call and it's just like this kind of lackluster home run call or someone like he makes the three like I'm like are, are we watching the same game because that's the thing like right. you want people to be a professional but you also want to feel like you're watching someone who's a genuine fan of the sport the way that you are and that's what Breen does so brilliantly and I like that clip will be on NBA highlight compilations for the next hundred years for as long as people are watching the NBA that clip is going to exist in perpetuity right and that's the problem with Two instances, one baseball reference for me for once, Joe Buck in the playoffs is horrible because he's so monotone. The iconic Aaron Boone home run, one of the most clutch hits in baseball history, never gets played in these clips because Joe Buck's home run call for that is home run Aaron Boone. Like it's so boring. And the Yankees won a playoff series in dramatic fashion. And he's just like a home run. And that's it. I have to tell you though, people hate on Joe Buck. I actually thought he did a good job calling the Cubs World Series. I prefer his Hmm. call of the Cubs final out to the Cubs radio broadcaster, which is, I would never have thought I would say that. I have not ever been a huge Joe Buck guy, but I actually think he has upped his game since 2003 when the Aaron Boone home run happened. So he's, (laughs) he's improved. We all improve. We're getting better. The other thing that is sad is some regional broadcasters. So if you're watching a local broadcasting team, like if you were watching Clyde and Mike do the Knicks or Stacey King do the Bulls, I think Stacey King, Clyde, some other guys, they do a good job of being excited even when the other team does something good. There's far too many times where the broadcasters for a home team are such homers that when someone else makes a game winner, they're just sad. And like, I get that's how the home crowd feels, but it's very disappointing when someone makes a game winner and rather than be excited for the event that just took place or at least put emotion behind it, they're sad because, oh, our team lost. Like you guys aren't fans, even if you are, you're supposed to be broadcasters because sometimes the other team fans are going to be watching your broadcast and that's not fair. And it just makes these moments sad. So I'm glad that Mike Breen is able to be impartial. And even when the Knicks lose in dramatic fashion, he calls it very well, even though he's the Knicks broadcaster. Well, he very much deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'll say that. For sure. For sure. So that was the three on three. If you want to see it five on five, head on over to patreon.com slash horse hoops. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The website is by Kelly Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman and the music is by Bettina Kampamanes. 
thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! There you go. He sells seashells, LaRon James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, not to be confused with NBA legend AC Green, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, or Taco Bells, Anna Borgeli, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! Brown men can jump! Jimmy Butler for two, long-suffering Timberwolves fan, and now, Roast Beef Debris. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops got banned for basketball reasons. You know, those basketball reasons can be tricky. Sometimes that happens. Didn't have the authority to make that account. David Cern had to say no. Didn't have... Couldn't do it, Dell Demps. Not allowed to create that account, Dell. These things happen. Check out our website, horsehoops.com, for clips of that Chris Paul interview, some awesome Mike Breen bang footage, uh, probably Walt Clyde Frazier being inappropriate during a Knicks broadcast, and much, much more. And shout out to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. Lots of great podcasts there, one of which, Potterless, one that I host, is doing a live show on June 10th. Hey, so you can check that out. Nice. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff to listen to. We've got free resources. If you're trying to make a podcast, all that good stuff, you can check it out at multitude.productions. And if you're looking for some bonus content from Horse, us turning things into five on five, overtime for extra audio about stuff, if you want a horse jersey or horse stickers, all of that lives at patreon.com slash horse hoops. So we'll close out this episode as we do every episode by saying something in unison on the count of three. I feel like we just got to say bang on the count of three to pay homage to our good pal, Mike Breen. Sure, I'm into it. All righty. One, two, three. Bang! Good luck to your next, buddy. Thank you. I'm just happy to be here. Would be even happier if we win... At least two games. Tell you what, I hope on the next episode of Horse, two weeks from now, we are talking about the Knicks in the second round. How about that? Mm-hmm. And I will still be hungover even however many days passed uh, if we win. <laughs> Is that from alcohol or just the emotional exhaustion? Probably more so that I'm not going to, I'm going to be so excited I can't sleep. It's going to be like kid on Christmas morning. I just won't sleep. Yeah. And as a Knicks fan, it's like being a kid on Christmas morning if you only get to celebrate Christmas once every decade. <laughs> yeah. You've gotten coal every year for the past 20 years and someone said, hey, you get a present this time. <laughs> 